It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Welcome to the newest episode of the Giants huddle podcast. My name is John Schmelk. Today's guest, former NFL scout, Matt Maticharian. We're going to talk to him in just a second, but first, a reminder, you can find the Giants Little Podcast and the Giants mobile app at Giants.com slash podcast and your favorite podcast platforms. And remember, folks, the draft season show will no longer be appearing on the Giants Little Podcast, so go subscribe to Draft Season on a separate podcast feed. You can also find that, of course, on the Giants website and the Giants mobile app. All right, now we're joined by Matt Maticharian. I mentioned uh, former NFL scout. Now he's running the show over there for the football ops over at Sports Information Solutions. Matt, tell us all about your company, what you guys are up to, and what you're doing. Yeah, so Sports Info Solutions, or SIS, as we're going by, we uh, you know started as a baseball company 20 years ago, but really in the last couple of years, we've really accelerated. We're growing a lot. We've grown into football and into basketball. And as you know, for the last three years, we've been putting out our SIS Football Rookie Handbook. It's our pre-draft guide where it takes my background as an NFL scout with the, with the Saints and the Browns and has real NFL-style scouting reports in it, along with all of the cutting-edge analytics that SIS is doing as we work with teams and other people in kind of the, the industry. Um, and we put it all onto a website this year. So instead of a big old heavy book, it's right there. It's a free website that we're releasing on sportsinfosolutions.com. And it's got all of that stuff, the player pages that makes you the GM. So you've got the analytics, you've got the scouting reports. You can look at your own team depth chart and see, see where you want to go. Um, it's everything you need for the NFL draft. Yeah, you can go follow them uh, at sportsinfo underscore SIS for the company. And then if you just want the football stuff at football underscore SIS. So make sure uh, you guys go check that out. Of course, you can also follow Matt at Matt Mano, all one word, M-A-T-T-M-A-N-O. Make sure you go check that out and check out the website. It really is a lot of fun. Uh, Matt, we've had you on. This is the third straight year now talking draft. I love talking to you about some of these players because you guys have a unique view that's different than a lot of the consensus out there. Yet this year, looking at what you guys have in terms of your big board, it seems to be not much different than other boards that I've seen out there. So, Tell us about what you guys think about the top of this draft class. Do you kind of agree with the consensus? There aren't nearly as many true blue chippers as we've had in past seasons. Yeah, that's exactly the term that we use for it. So our top grading level, the 7.0 and above grading tier, that is our blue chip grading tier. That basically means we expect you to come in and be playing at an all pro level as a rookie. Um, so that, that, that's high praise. And last year there were a bunch of guys that fit that criteria and we saw it kind of play out, you know, sure. with, with even the Patrick Sertans of the world that were going, you know, in the back half of the top 10, still, still performing really, really well last year. This year, we've just got three guys at that blue chip level. Now there's pretty good depth throughout the first round. There are a lot of players that can help your team in this year's draft, but in terms of the super high upside, not as much that we see there, the top three players, though, the three blue chippers that we have. At number three is Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of Notre Dame. At number two, Evan Neal, the tackle out of Alabama. And at number one, you know it's going to be one of those two edge rushers. Um, it's Aiden Hutchinson for us um, out of Michigan. Just uh, He's a little bit more of a ready-made product than Kayvon Thibodeau, who's also uh, a high-end prospect and just, just one great level behind him. Now, if, are there any maybe red flags is too strong? maybe a yellow flag on any of those three guys where you say, okay, we do have a legitimate concern. Well, 
you know, this flaw, this issue with one of these players gives us some pause or question as to whether or not they're going to hit that high end of, of your projection. Yeah. So the boom bust guy out of these three is Evan Neal, the tackle out of Alabama. Um, when you talk about Evan Neal, this is a guy who, if it goes well, we're talking Jonathan Ogden. We're talking about a guy who has that kind of upside, his frame at six, seven, six, eight, 330 pounds. And I'm telling you, he moves as athletic as an offensive lineman, as you'll see. And, and by the uh, way, he looks like he's 295 when you look at him. I mean, he looks unbelievable right. he's got for a that guy that's 340. Huh. It's a proportional build. It's, a, it's like, oh, wow, he's 330 pounds, but actually he's like built like a normal human being, not right. like a round thing that, that a lot of 330-pounders are. Right? This isn't a Vince Wilfork body type at all. Um, so his frame is it, the combination of size and athleticism. It's just something that you don't see. His, his upside is up at like an 8.0 grade range. His upside is the best left tackle in NFL history. Like, like, and, and I don't think that's going too crazy. The flexibility this guy plays with, um, the, the strength that he has, his upper body strength. There's a lot of really great stuff there. But where I do see that, I don't see a scenario where he doesn't become a starting level offensive lineman. I think he could fit a tackle or guard. Um, but where I do see things with him where you need a little bit more development, it's he's a young player. Played one season at left guard, one season at right tackle. This past season, he was at left tackle. 40 games in three years for Alabama. Did a really good job for them. But he will spend a little bit too much time on the ground, which sometimes is an athletic red flag. With him, I really think it's a technique thing. I think he's got to develop his technique and get more experience out there playing in these situations. Um, but but I guess there's a, there is a path where if he doesn't get all the technical stuff right, then he would be a starting level player, but um, not somebody that, that, that would be that, that outrageously great player. So he's the one that I think of where it's a little bit more kind of boom or bust, but Aiden Hutchinson, I mean, he doesn't have chase young type of upside, right. but he's ready made. He's going to come into the league and he's got like 10 sack potential right off the bat. Um, and Kyle Hamilton, I know he ran slow at the combine. I don't care. This guy has all kinds of range. He can do everything you'd want. Uh, an inside the box safety to do and then some but then it also at six foot four he's got great range range not just in terms of his physical length but also he covers the back end really well when you turn on the film there's no speed concerns with Kyle Hamilton so um, I feel great about any of those three players they, they, those are like we said the blue chippers let me do a quick follow-up on Hutchinson and, and Hamilton anything that you see on tape or or in your numbers uh, that make you worry about A, his shorter arm length, or B, his lack of elite kind of flexibility and bend around the edge. And then for Hamilton, would you feel comfortable if you have to reduce him down to cover receivers in the slot? That's maybe the one thing I do worry about with him. Right. So with Hutchinson, I, I'm not concerned about any of the, the physical tools that he has. Um, I know shorter arms can be a thing that gets discussed a lot, but when you talk about it, this is a guy who, has all of the physical tools that you really do look for. You're really nitpicking when you got a 6'6", 260 edge, and you're talking about, you know, the arm length there. Um, that's a real nitpick, I think. You see it on the film. When he's played against the highest level of competition that he's gone against, you've seen that he's produced as a pass rusher. He's got an 100 total points rating as a pass rusher. So, like, the best, you, you know, rating you could have, like a 99 Madden rating, you could think about it as, in terms of his performance right now. And he's got maybe not the best bend in the world. Like I said, that's why he's not the Chase Young type of prospect. Right. 
But in terms of actual concerns, no, I, th- I think he comes in. He's a high level player. He's, he's going to be one of the better pass rushers in the NFL. He's got great variety. He's got great hand use. He's really a, a ready-made product. Um, so I think that the floor is just very high with him. Um, Hamilton, you asked about the one thing that I do think is the fairest criticism of his game. I don't think he's in a, the, the, the one, the way that I think he's least useful is to try to go out and cover a slot receiver. I think that he's going to be much more valuable if you're in man coverage, covering a tight end, yeah, right? I he agree. can cover these unicorn type of tight ends um, where you actually have a little bit of somebody who could answer like the Travis Kelsey question. The Darren I'm Waller, saying, right? Those guys. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I'm not saying anybody's going to really answer that question, but, but he can at least, he can at least match up with those guys physically. Um, so, so I think he'd be a little bit of wasted if you were trying to have him cover the slots like that. And then uh, in zone, no, I have no concerns about him. Intermediate zones, deep zones, he can do that stuff all there. So I think what you've identified is is a fair criticism. I just don't think that's how you want to use him. No, fair enough. All right, let's go to your next tier. I find it interesting because I've been kind of going back and forth at these guys myself in, in, in my scouting process. You have Charles Cross and Ike McWanu with identical grades, yet they're very different types of players. So sort through that. If your Giants are sitting there at five, Evan Neal is gone, and this is a very plausible scenario, right? And they're looking at Aquanu, they're looking at Cross, and they got to make a call. What should be the things they're considering when they're trying to split the difference between those two guys? A ready-made pass protector versus somebody that just has more physical upside, I think, uh, down the road. I think that's what you're talking about. So Charles Cross out of Mississippi State, this guy, uh, I talked about uh, Aiden Hutchinson with the, with the 99 kind of Madden rating as a pass rusher. This guy, same thing as a pass protector. He had the best advanced analytics as a pass protector of anybody in the country this year, uh, kind of across the board when you look at all the metrics together. So analytically speaking, this is a guy who can do it as a pass protector. Um, he's got the physical traits that you look for. He's got the polish that you look for plays with great balance, plays with great hand placement and timing, not somebody who's going to be an overpowering run game player. I think this is more of a pure left tackle. Um, And yes, coming out of the offense in Mississippi State, he's going to have to adjust to doing some different things that are going to be asked of him at the NFL level. But the ideal frame and athleticism to be a starting left tackle, really, um, and just, you know, minus being the six foot eight, 330 best athlete I've ever seen as a tackle, you know, Evan Neal type player. I think Charles Cross is the guy that I would, that, that I do prioritize ahead because of that. I think the pass game is just more important. And if you can get somebody to lock down that blind side, that's really key. Now, Ike McWanu, he's also a really great player and I, and I don't want to sell him short. This is somebody who doesn't have it totally cleaned up, uh, technically, but, Physically, again, this is somebody who just plays with a power. Um, his tenacity to finish in the run game is rare. Um, I think that he could end up finding a home at left tackle. He could end up finding a home at a different offensive line position. Um, regardless, I think what he's going to bring is a little bit more balance to his game where he can be a really good blindside pass protector, needs to develop a little bit, but in the run game, he, he's coming in as, as somebody that's just like overwhelms you with his physical skill and, and kind of the force that he can bring in there. So um, really, really talented player. Don't see it put together on the film as much at this point, right? We talk about the total points rating. He was just a 76 overall and an 88 in the past game this past year. That's good, but that's not that 99 elite that we talked about with those other guys. So um, just know that it might be a little bit more of a learning curve, but the upside again, 
for, for a, a third-year player with his kind of size and strength, uh, there's a reason why he's going to be a top 10 pick as well. And the other thing, Matt, I feel good about Aquanu is that if he fails at tackle, I can Movement plug inside. that dude in at guard and I'm going to feel really good about that, you know? Right. Charles Cross is not going to be moving positions. Exactly. He, he's he's going to be a, t- a tackle for sure. Aquanu could move inside. Evan Neal could move inside. I don't think you want him to. I think that's a waste. Um, but um, with Aquanu, I think you're absolutely right. Even if he doesn't get it fully together technically, you know, as a scout, we're always careful because we think, oh, move him inside, it's easier in there. That's not always true. Things move really quickly on the inside, and you need a, a phone booth short area quickness to get by in there. But when you have a guy with this kind of strength and this kind of anchor ability, that's a really nice starting point to be able to make a good guard. Now, you guys have Derek Stingley and Ahmad Sauce Gardner with identical grades. Uh, but I know Stingley, and you even pointed out in your little caption here uh, on the website, lot to unpack there because if he was the same guy he was as a freshman the last two years, he's probably the first guy on your big board, right? So what's the NFL calculation there when you're looking at those two corners and you need one in that top 10? I love Stingley. I love Stingley, and there's a lot of love for Sauce these days, and, and rightfully so. But uh, let's start with him because I think he's a really interesting player. Like you mentioned, as a freshman, he played that year. He looked like he was going to be the number one pick in the draft based off that season, you know, just as soon as he was eligible. Um, as, a, as a player, when he is at his best, and we've seen this with sporadically when he's been on the field the last two years, it's mostly been injuries that have been the concern. This is a guy that you can tell has a receiver background, but he also has the twitchy athleticism to where he's not the guy that couldn't make it as a receiver. And so he's playing defensive back. He's like, I'm too good at being a reactive athlete to not play <laughs> defensive back. And then, oh, yeah, I'll also go and high point the ball in the air, too, and, and make all the plays in there. Uh, in man coverage, he's a unique player where I think against the top talent receivers in the NFL, you'll be able to put him one-on-one one on one on an island and you'll be able to feel good about him out there. You see it against the Alabama receivers. You see it against guys that are playing in the pros these days. Um, he's, he's just uh, an unbelievable cover corner and that ability to play man coverage. There's no trait that I look for above that on the NFL level. And he's somebody who's also shown the ability to turn the ball over too. what do you get concerned about the list Frank injury that he went through this past year? That's one of those things where there are some injuries where you don't get very concerned about the long-term outlook that's one thing that that's going to be a drag on him a little bit. We try to grade the player and grade what he is in terms of uh, physically where he's at right now and what he's going to be by his second season. But that is something that if you're a team and I think you're, you're considering where you want to go, that's the part about uh, Stingley where you can talk yourself out of it. Now, where you can talk yourself into it is if he gets back to what he was at, at his full health and he's what he could be, I think you're talking about one of the best corners in the NFL. I think we saw Patrick Sertan, we mentioned it before, come out last year and become one of the best corners in the NFL right away. I think we're talking about a similar level player here. This is a, this is a really rare talent. And how about Sauce? Yeah, so talk about Sauce a little bit because Sauce is getting just a ton of love. And the reason why he gets that love, again, is I, I said that most, that most valued skill is the, ability, is the ability to play man and specifically the ability to play press man. So when you get a 6'3 kid like this, who's got the length and and all the measurables that you look for, and then you flip on the film and you see what he's doing there. This guy's beating people up in the press man game. He's getting himself in great position um, when he's playing uh, specifically in that press. He's really comfortable, got good hand use, got good feet, um, great reactive athleticism to mirror. um, And he's shown the ball skills as well when, when to make plays in the air. 
So um, again, a guy with a lot of really good performance metrics. When you talk about um, what he's allowed uh, this year, um, he's he's just uh, been a lockdown guy and somebody that that teams need to avoid. And um, I think that if there's a team that wants to play press man, same way you saw uh, J.C. Horn come out last year, if he had stayed healthy, he would he was playing just as well as Patrick Sertan last year. This is that sort of guy where we're going to move him all over the field. He's going to be long-armed. He's going to have the ability to just beat guys up, and we're going to trust him to, to play that bump and run and chase with them um, and just be longer and stronger um, with the mirror match skills to be able to, to match them all over the field. Not somebody who ideally we want to be doing a lot of off-man stuff with. Uh, he's shown you know, not as comfortable in that uh, aspect of the game. But um, a high-level player, like you said, these guys are both at that 6.9 grade level. When you're talking about that, you're talking about a number one corner on a Super Bowl-level team. So, what do you think? I'm, I'm sorry, Matt. Go ahead. I apologize. No, that, that, that's, a, that's a lofty grade. We love both these players. What do you think about the rest of the cornerback class? If the Giants can't get you know, sauce or, or they decide not to go with Stingley at five or seven, they decide, all right, Top of the second round, we do want to try to add a cornerback. Who are some of the guys that could be available in that 35, 36 range uh, that you guys happen to like? Yeah, so um, best case scenario, I think a couple of guys, the next two guys on our board, if either of them were available, I'd jump at it there. Uh, Trent McDuffie, I think he's likely to go in the first round. Um, probably a little bit better on the inside uh, because he just doesn't have the, the elite size like we talked about with, with uh, these first guys. But um, somebody that I think has just great coverability and he's going to be on the field um, all the time right away in his career. Um, and then Andrew Booth Jr. out of Clemson. Again, another guy's man coverage skills. That's what that's what the, the key thing that he's bringing you there. All of these guys that are being highly valued here, it's because they've shown the ability to lock down guys uh, in man to man. They have the high end speed and athletics and acceleration that it takes along with the reactive athletic ability to make plays on the ball. Um, I think you're talking about number one or number two level corners. When you start to get to this level of the players, probably more ideal number two, um, but all, but could be number one corners as well. Um, definitely some guys that can play in terms of this, um, this area of the draft, maybe a little bit less of the fluidity in terms of a booth compared to these first guys that we talked about. So you want somebody that's a little bit more physical. You'd lean that way. You want somebody that's a little bit more, um, sort of can play in the slot and really be uh, with those twitchy athletes, then you probably lean towards McDuffie. Um, but both those guys I'd be excited to have at that level. And then uh, right below them, I think uh, there are even some more guys where you don't have to panic. There, there are players at corner and at edge in this year's draft that I think through the second day, you'll find some good players. Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. We're joined right now by Matt Maticharian, Vice President of Football and Research at Sports Information Solutions. Go check it out. Uh, you mentioned the edge rusher class, Matt. Why don't we head there next? Uh, I think looking at your big board, maybe I'm overstating this, maybe not as high on the top of the edge rusher class as some other people. You have Thibodeau at seven, which is kind of where I've seen him. But then I'm going, you have Trayvon Walker at 13. As you well know, he has had a, basically a rocket pack on his back the last month. Uh, Floy, yep. He's 
you know, flown up boards. And then your next pass rusher, I don't think pops up until 28 with George Karloftis. So take us through after Hutchinson, what you guys think about that pass rusher class and kind of what the sweet spot is if you're looking for one. So we have seven pass rushers. That is true in terms of when we when we stack them and we rank these guys by numbers. But that's this is why I'm a big proponent of role-based grading as opposed to round-based grading. Mm. Because you have different numbers of good players in each and every draft every year, right? Like last year we had the crazy good top 10, and then it kind of leveled out more quickly when you got into deeper into the first round. And then you had like some really nice depth around like the, the third round pick type range. This year, I think you don't have any of that super-duper high top 10 talent. We have those three guys that we've identified as blue chippers, which is fewer than last year. But that 6.9 to 6.7 grade range, that strong starter grade range, these are players that you build a Super Bowl team around. If you're trying to make it a a round-based system, yeah, these are first-round picks in a a quote-unquote round-based system. But the good news is we've got uh, almost 40 players this year that we would put in that first round grade range if that was how we looked at things, right? So that's precisely why we don't do round base grades. We do role based grades. And in terms of starting level edge players, we think there are seven guys in this draft. So yes, you're right about the top end. Hutchinson, we have him as the top player overall on our board. Like I said before, not Chase Young level, but a very good player. He's going to come and be good. Thibodeau has a little bit more upside physically than, than a Hutchinson. Um, he's also a little bit better probably as a run defender, kind of right out the box. Hutchinson's not bad in that regard, but Thibodeau really shows some strength there. Um, Also somebody who's got a a perfect total points rating as a pass rusher when he was on the field this past year. Um, I think he's somebody that at at the 6.9 grade level, I don't want to be too, I don't want to get too uh, hard on him. This is just one notch below that blue chipper. We think that he's an ideal top edge rusher on a team and, and has the potential to be a double digit sack guy. So he's right there when, when you start to talk about the very, very high end of this draft. And then at number 13 is where we have Trayvon Walker. And what you got to remember is we're grading this all based on the film. Yeah. We get the combine numbers and stuff like that. And, you know, to some extent that might seep into the way people think about their evaluations, but, um, there's no, it wasn't like we didn't know when you watched the film, the athletic traits are ridiculous with Trevon Walker. Like this guy, athletically, there's nothing that he can't do. He can play inside. He can play outside. He can pass rush. He's got just all kinds of physical ability. He hasn't had that development. He doesn't have that uh, polish to his game quite yet. So where I look at him and I think, why do I, why would I get so uh, excited about him as an NFL team? I love a player that I can put on the field on first and second down as an edge, be a really strong player there, have all kinds of upside. And then on third down, bump him inside. And then I can bring in one of these situational special edge rushers to come in on the edge on the outside. I don't need to tell a Giants fan about, you know, the old NASCAR package. Um, that's that's the idea with, with Trevon Walker is that he's the guy you can bump inside on third down and have that ridiculous athletic ability where he could be guards, he could be tackles, he can do it all. Um, so I love those three guys. And yes, there's a little bit of a, a jump before we get down to, uh, the guys that you mentioned before, but that's not to say anything negative about, uh, sure. Loftus and these other guys. Um, I think, I think there are some players in this draft, so you can be patient there. I want to ask you specifically about a couple of these guys, because you haven't touched on them a bunch. Jermaine Johnson is somebody that some people think could, you know, pop into the top 10 there. He's only had one year of production, uh, going from Georgia to Florida state. What are the things you really like about his game? And what are some of the things that might give you pause if you're looking to make him a a top 15 pick in this year's draft? 
Yeah, I mean, the pass rush upside is, is what jumps out with this player. Um, you see the ability to pass rush. You see the strength and power that he brings to his game. Um, a, a really good, strong upper body strength and hand use. Um, what you get concerned about is, like you said, it's kind of the one-hit wonder, um, and it's kind of where's the consistency to see this on a, on a play-by-play, on a down-by-down basis. Um, looking into his advanced stats, um, some of the things when it comes to his sack rate, his pressure rate, um, it doesn't always line up. Um, he seems to have really good pressure in some instances and then really bad in other places. Um, and then when you go into his report, which, which our primary scouts, Patrick Morris and, and Jonathan Miklos, who, who broke him down, for, for all the upside that they find and a lot of the things that get you really excited, the lack of motor, um, the lack of ability for this guy to be an edge who can drop back and kind of play in past defense, um, not somebody that's going to fit in that way, a better fit for a 4-3 team. Um, there, there are just some questions that we see in his game where for all the pass rush upside, for all the ability to make the plays in the backfield, there's also been a, a sort of lack of consistency that, that we're not so sure about. A couple other guys that I think you maybe like a little bit more than, than others. Uh, my Jay Sanders had a Cincinnati, a player we even talked a ton about. And then Kingsley Enigbare um, at a South Carolina. What is it that you guys like about those guys? You have them with identical grades uh, to both car to both uh, to uh, Jermaine Johnson with a 6.7. Yeah. Um, let's start off with Majai Sanders. Um, again, out of Cincinnati, uh, we're talking about this player who has the arm length. He's six foot five. Um, so when he's coming around and he's, and he's in his pass rush game, he has the ability to really keep the offensive lineman off of him. Um, so you see that despite his size, he's got the good pad level. He uses his hands to keep players off of him. Um, and he can mix up his pass pass rush moves as a result, um, and get home through that. Um, so there's really good upside as, as the, as a pass rusher, because of that ability. Um, the first step is good. It's not the kind of crazy explosive that we see from like a Thibodeau, uh, or somebody like that. Um, he's a little bit light as he, as he's coming out right now, we have him at just 228. So you'd like to see him get a little bit kind of more sand in the pants, um, as you look at him there. But really when, when you, when you picture, uh, where he's at kind of a year from today, once he's had the chance to kind of develop his body a little bit um, and get into the NFL level, I think he's an ideal 3-4 player, but he can do a 3-4 or a 4-3, um, and he's going to be an, an edge rusher, a true edge defender, using his arm length to set the point of attack there, and then somebody who's also um, going to hopefully become, you know, develop into a guy who's, who's in that 10-sack range um, if everything can pan out. And then Enigbari is kind of like a bigger guy, right? He's he's 258. He wins with power. Uh, he's got some length to him. You know, he's a guy that I've kind of had back and forth with uh, Arnold Ebiketti um, from Penn State, where you guys aren't quite as high on as others. Uh, can you, like, compare and contrast those two guys a little bit And when teams are trying to sort through this, you know, very deep, you know, middle half of this edge rusher class uh, when you're trying to make those types of decisions? Well, what we like about Enigbari that he's been able to put put together uh, that I think separates him a little bit is is sort of the the production on the field in a lot of the metrics that we really care about uh, in the pass rush game. So um, it doesn't always show up in the basic stats, but as a pass rusher for for the last three years, this is a guy who's had a rating above ninety five, despite the fact that he's only been three and a half sacks, five and a half sacks. Um, what we've seen in terms of when he's been out there and had the opportunities. His pressure rate's been very good. When offensive schemes have been doing things that are, um, you know, when you removed out the three-step drops and the RPOs and some of the junk 
that gets in the way of the sack stats and some of the final stats that, that have their limitations. And you look at what we call true pressure rate. This is somebody who's uh, really done an excellent job in that regard. He drew six holds this year um, and, and 11 over the last three years. So um, somebody who's making a lot of plays that show up in, in some of our statistics that maybe don't show up in terms of just the basic sacks and, and things like that. Um, where we worry about him needs to work on the run game anchor needs to get a little bit better to make sure he can be on the field for all three plays, but he's going to be, I think a situational pass rusher from day one. And I think he grows into his starting level player. No, that, 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 that's awesome. And, and a guy like Ebikidi, who I think some people think probably is a little bit more toolsy than an Enigbari. Did you guys just not see as much consistent production out of him? Yeah. Um, I think that that's fair. Um, I think that's a fair way to look at him. Um, we, when we turn on the film there, um, it was John Todd, who was our primary scout. And we, he, he noted the tools. He said he saw the tools and, and he felt good about it. But in terms of somebody, the, the play strength and along with the pass rush repertoire, those two things combined didn't see the frame where he was going to develop into somebody who was really going to be able to hold up like that. And doesn't have the sort of uh, the length and, and some tools, you know, like, like he's got the, the arm length but he doesn't always utilize it in a way where he's getting home to the quarterback. So just in terms of the betting on whether or not that polish is going to shine through or not, it's, it's just a different feeling in terms of um, one guy where we feel like he's shown it done a little bit more and, and shown the ability that, that when we look into the advanced stats, he can come there. Whereas when we looked at uh, Ebikidi a little bit, it was uh, a kind of a, a half step down but that's that's a meaningful that's a meaningful step when it's the difference between actually making it onto the field to contribute or not. Absolutely. All right. Let, let's do one more defensive spot here, Matt, before we jump back to offense real quick. Uh, we've talked a lot about Devin Lloyd and Nicobe Dean, the two top linebackers. So I'm going to go to that next group because I, I, Messi's maybe is, is the wrong word. But I think a lot of people see these guys different ways because, as you know, linebacker is, is a very role based position. What are you asking these guys to do? When you have them on the field, the Quay Walkers, the Brian Asamoas, Damone Clark, um, Christian Harris, Leo Chanel, Chad Mama, a small school guy like Troy Anderson. Uh, how do you kind of separate that next group of linebackers? And, you know, what kind of roles do you see for some of these guys that maybe you really like? Yeah, so that's the thing with those first two guys you mentioned, Lloyd and Dean. They have that three down ability. They have the ability kind of in all phases where uh, you're not worried about them ever having to come off the field. With these other guys that you're talking about, you're, you, you're having to pick and choose different things that uh, you either like or that, you, or that are a little bit of holes about them. So uh, Quay Rocker's a guy you mentioned. The physical, the physical traits there are really, really intriguing. Um, he's got the athletic profile, like uh, not, so, not so unlike his, his defensive line mate. Um, he's, he's somebody coming out of Georgia who just has a lot of physical ability where, where I've even heard some scouts say that they like him above a Kobe Dean, just b- because of the physical upside that he, he almost has. looks like an edge rusher. The way he, the way he's built is long, he's long, he's lanky. He kind of has that look to him, you know? Right. And, uh, he's that body type. We've seen some guys that have had the success moving to the inside with that body type. And I think that's kind of what you'd be looking for, right? You could see him mugging the a gap a whole bunch, sure. making, making center's life a, a pain in the butt. I think that's what you look at um, with that sort of a player um, flowing through. You know, Damone Clark, he's another guy with a lot of length. Um, he's another guy that I think could play any off-ball linebacker position. Um, unfortunately, he had a, a situation come up at the combine where he had to have surgery and he's going to miss 
Yeah, the spine surgery, rough. Yeah. yeah. So um, he's somebody who I think, unfortunately, probably, you know, maybe becomes a value pick for somebody a little bit later on, but uh, not somebody that that's going to be in that same range, although might have been somebody that fit in a little bit of that Quay Walker mold in terms of really high end physical traits um, and just needs to kind of iron out the rest of his game a little bit. Um, you look at an, an Asamoah, this is what somebody who you're going to have to give a little bit in terms of size, doesn't have the ideal size that you look for, uh, for a linebacker, but this guy is just all kinds of explosion. You talk about Twitch, you talk about somebody who's shot out of a cannon. Um, that's what you're getting with, with this sort of a player, a little bit more, uh, in the, uh, Devin Bush mold, thinking about a player of somebody who, who came out a couple of years ago. Um, not somebody who I think is going to be an ideal uh, coverage player, but somebody who just makes your entire defense faster. I think that's the vision when you talk about a player like him. Yeah, I think linebackers is, is, is probably, at least in my opinion, and Matt, you've been doing this a lot longer than I have. I think linebackers are really difficult position to scout now just because, I, I frankly, I think it's one of the most difficult positions to play in the league, right? You have to be able to cover. You got to be able to blitz. You have to be able to stop the run. You know, they design yeah. these offenses now to just put linebackers in the most difficult spots with these running quarterbacks too, right? There are so many things these linebackers have to do and, and to figure out whether or not they can based on very specific things they're asked to do in college or maybe not others, I just think is really, really difficult. Yeah, you got to make sure you're getting somebody that fits what you're trying to do. And I think that's a bit of why we've seen a devaluation of the linebacker position. Offenses are doing so many things with different personnel groupings to make it really difficult to, to have three linebackers on the field. That's like hardly ever a thing that we see anymore. We, we almost see more one linebacker than we see three yeah. linebackers at this point. So um, it's not a, a position that teams are emphasizing on their depth chart. And I think really, as we see the development of the league, the more positionless you can be when you're playing, when you're talking about your safeties, your overhang players, your linebackers, the more positionless you can be, the more of a, of a space you're going to have in the modern NFL, because unless you are that sort of positionless player, offenses can find a way to pick on you. And that's, I think, exactly what you're talking about. Don't miss your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. We're joined again by Matt Maticharian, former NFL scout, vice president of football and research at Sports Information Solutions. Uh, Matt, let's go back to the offensive side of the ball. Uh, the Giants probably are not going to pick a wide receiver early, but I do want to ask you about one of your early rankings here at wide receiver. You guys have Traylon Burks at the top of your wide receiver rankings. I think that, you know, was maybe a little bit more popular a little bit earlier in the draft process and not so much now. What do you guys love so much about Traylon Burks that he's your wide receiver number one? Yeah, uh, well, the good thing about our board is that it's not going to change based on the combine. It's going to be based on, on what we saw on the film. Um, and what and what the advanced analytics that, that we're basing off that film study show. Um, what we love about him is that this is a guy who is, when he's not open, he's still open. He's got the sort of hands, the sort of catch radius, um, and the ability to um, make plays where, where like, it's, it's almost Debo Samuel light in a way. Um, this is somebody who can, can make plays on the ball, even, even when he's completely covered. So we've seen the production, the way that he was used in that Arkansas offense. You know, it's one thing to see these Alabama guys performing with the quarterback who's throwing them the ball in the offense. This is somebody who completely transformed the way the Arkansas offense was run. When he was on the field, they were a, a, a different 
uh, offense in, in every way than they were without him. Um, and he's somebody that the defense really had to account for with multiple people um, all the time because the, the run after the catch ability is so good. So he was at the top of our total points rating in terms of what he did as, uh, from a production standpoint as a receiver this year. Um, I think that um, he's somebody that it's going to be really hard to, to press against him because he's just got uh, so much size and strength built to him. And at the end of the day, his contested catch ability is the, is the trait that stands out more than anything else. Um, even when he's not open, he's open. That's, that's legitimately what I think you're talking about with this guy. So I, I think you got some Mike Williams to him. I, I think you got some of that. Um, and we like him same tied as the same grade. I think with, with, uh, with Jameson, if I, if I have my memory serves right, but um, the number one in, in the ranking. Yep. You guys have him 6.9 on both guys. Jameson Williams is my number one. Why? I, I love Jameson Williams, Boy, that guy is fast. I mean, he's so explosive. He's so <laughs> explosive. I'll tell you what, though, when I watched, when I was watching film uh, on Evan Neal, I kept getting distracted by Bryce Young and Jameson Williams. Bryce Young makes some downright distracting plays in a good way. Yeah. Um, where you're watching, you're like, man, this guy can do some things. Jameson Williams has like, I don't know if you remember what Ted Ginn was like when he was coming out of Ohio State, but he would have these explosive plays. He would do things you never saw before. Um, just seemed like he was toying with the defense sometimes. And then he would also do some stuff that would just drive you nuts. Like, how are you going to drop that ball? Like, why are you running out? Why are you running out of bounds over there? Like, what, what happened to you? You're the turf monster come and get you on this play? Like, what happened there? Um, so he reminds me of that. And uh, again, I mean, that's a loaded comparison because he had such a bizarre and long winding career. Yeah. But uh, Jameson Williams is one of these guys where it's like the explosiveness and the upside. It's it's enticing. Um, it's Going to need to see some, you know, some seasoning, I think is fair to say. Yeah, but I, uh, let me tell you, man, it's, it's when you play in the SEC and you're by far the best athlete on the field every time you play and it's not close, that, that's saying good something. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, a couple, a couple, you know, you guys have a deep wide receiver board here and it's going to be like this every year now, right? With seven on seven, all this stuff. Three guys so. that you seem to like a little bit more than others. Tell me why. And we haven't talked about, about them a bunch on these shows. So I'd love to get your take. Uh, George Pickens, <clears throat> who I love who I think could be a steal for the Giants at the top of the second round. You have him even ahead of Drake London on, on, on your chart here, which I think is, is, is really interesting. And I, and I trust me, I understand why when you watch him, he's excellent. And um, then a couple other guys that you have here that uh, you also really like. I'll get to those in a second. But first, I want you to focus a little bit on Pickens and why you guys are so high on him. Yeah, so unfortunately was injured and so missed a lot of this past year. Um, which, which made him a little bit of a tougher eval. But this is a guy that when he's been on the field uh, over the course of each, each of the last three years, he's been just an unbelievable big play threat from one of these big body type receivers. So that's where I think you get the, the interesting combination of skills with him. He's not the like elite, elite contested catch guy like we just talked about before, but he's, he's just one notch down from that. You're talking about a 6'3 guy, lots of, lots of uh, uh, length and, and, a, and a big catch radius but also he can run. And when the ball is in the air down the field, he has a really innate ability to track the ball and win the ball at the catch point. So that's the, that's the trait that we look for where we say um, not the run after the catch so more so much as this guy's just a problem running down the field on deep routes. And he's somebody that, that you can, you can really trust in those situations to have strong hands uh, to be able to, to do some things to get open in those situations uh, not talking about the fastest guy in the world, but certainly has enough speed and um, 
the the abilities that he show are are valuable enough. And then if he can kind of develop his route tree out and show the ability to kind of be able to do a little bit more things there, then I think there's going to become a sort of limitless potential in terms of where you can use him and what he, what he can become in terms of a run after the catch guy, a possession guy, in addition to having uh, that most important ability, um, the big body, the speed and, and the, and the tracking ability to go and get the ball down the field. Um, that that's huge in today's NFL. Talk about another guy that's had to overcome injuries, Justin Ross out of Clemson. You guys have him ranked as your 40th best player, which I think is probably a lot higher than most others. Why? Why do we have Justin Ross rated higher than other people? I'd have to, I'd have to figure out why those other people have him rated uh, so much lower than us. No, that's fair. <laughs> um, but he's, he's at that 6.7 grade range, right? I mentioned there are about 40 players that, that we would say that are in that, in that strong starter plus range. We think that, you know, when you get that 6.7, that's an indication that we're saying, if this guy's your number two receiver, then you've got a really good receiver room. Um, he's a guy, again, like these first couple that we talked about, can win the contested catches, big body guy at six foot four, um, the, the combination of size and athleticism that, that he can contribute. He has had the injury history, so the injury concerns are something that are always going to bring people down. And I'll remind again, we're showing that he's 40th overall. That's not considering the injury risk. We let we let doctors and other people worry about that. Um, but uh, a guy that when he's been out there, he's been a really consistent producer for them. Um, not somebody who's like an incredible separator. And that's why I think we separate him from being a, a number one guy in the way that some of these other guys are. But um, like we said, when if he's your number two, he's doing some some really spectacular things, showing the ability to kind of, go up above people, make some catches, um, got some twitch in his sort of route running ability. And even without having a good quarterback play and uh, dealing with the, the injury that he dealt with throughout this past year, we, we think that he's a starting level receiver who can kind of do some things, ideally lining up on the outside, but also could potentially become like a big slot candidate as well. If the Giants want to try to find, you know, just an average NFL starting tight end that you can plug in, feel good about them, you know, end of day two, beginning of day three, who are some of the guys you like that can maybe do a little bit of everything? Um, interesting position. I, I don't know if you're going to find in like an ideal um, starter that, that kind of has like the all around ability, but there are some exciting players. And the, and the first guy, the top guy on our board and the guy that I'm most excited about is Isaiah likely he's coming out of coastal Carolina. So a little bit uh, off the beaten path there. But this dude is just an athlete. Uh, you talk about somebody who was productive as a receiver this year. He's like a borderline slot receiver in kind of the way that he's used. Like if you think about like a like a Mike Gusecki type of thing, he's he's an H, not somebody that you're going to want lining up in a three point stance. Even though he does have that that frame at six foot five, he's not somebody who's going to sustain blocks. You'd be choosing a guy who's a, a difference maker in the pass game and not somebody who's going to be a difference maker in the run game here. But um, the, the size and sort of mismatch ability that he brings with him, um, the way that he ranked so well in terms of his ability to create broken and missed tackles after the catch. Um, and like I mentioned before, his production as a receiver, yes, it's at Coastal Carolina, but um, this guy's fun to watch as a receiver when you flip the film on. Very good. All right. Let's, as we close here, the Giants need to fix their offensive line, Matt, and that's going to be a big focus. Then we talked about your tackles at the top of the class. If you're looking at the top around two, Round three, let's do offensive tackles first. Is this a deep enough class where you might be able to find somebody in those areas that can come in and, you know, be okay in year one and develop into something a little bit more? 
Yeah, I think you've got some you've got some solid candidates there, probably in the day two range. Um, at this point, it's looking like uh, Trevor Penning's going to come off in in round one. Um, but uh, a couple guys that I'd look at kind of right after him uh, on the board there, Tyler Smith, if he's available in the second round, I think that's a, that's a huge value play right there. Um, this is somebody who's a, a young prospect, but he's got the the body, the frame, the strength, um, the athletic upside that you look for to be a high level uh, tackle in the league and, and could really grow into a plus player. Do you have to so, start him at guard? Do you think, Matt, and then move him outside? Do you think he can start year one at tackle? I think he can start year one at tackle. I think you, you'd be dealing with some growing pain, certainly, when you talk about um, starting him out there. But I do think he's somebody that that projects best as a right tackle. Um, and I think he's got enough length to be there on the outside where, like I mentioned before, sometimes just moving guys inside can make things, uh, it, things can move really quickly in there. And for a guy with less experience like him, I'd be more keen to kind of keep him where he's already comfortable. Mm. But I do think that if he starts struggling in space out there, if he's, if, if you see some of the grabbiness, he has had, uh, you know, some issues in that regard uh, through his career so far that could be an option that you end up moving him inside. But, but I'd be hesitant in, in that regard. Um, he's been a left tackle. I, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable, comfortable starting him there right away, but I do think he can be a, a right tackle. And he's a guy that, that, that showed out pretty well in terms of um, bringing things uh, on the field this year. All right, then let's go inside. Let's look at guard centers. Maybe who some of the guys you like again, round two, round three, um, it doesn't look like a super deep class based on your board here and, and, and some of your grades that you can plug and play, bring him in, feel good about this guy being a guard or a center for you on day two. Yeah, on day two, I think that's tough. Uh, uh, Linderbaum's the center that, that you know, everybody knows about that we really like. There, there are a couple of guys that um, if they're available there, you know, you never know where guys will get drafted and where guys sure. will fall. Um, but I do think that that's accurate, that after you get past probably – the top will, let's say, four prospects in the draft, three, four guys, um, there is a bit of a drop-off. And you start to talk about guys that um, maybe you can slide them in as guard. And if you have um, somebody really good playing next to them, you can get by with them in there. But not, not a lot of people that have both the athletic upside and the polish in their game where, where they're going to walk onto the field and, and, and be uh, really ideal players there. So um, I think that um, – for all the depth that you see at corner, at edge in this year's draft, it's harder to say the same thing about the interior offensive lineman. Matt, I can't tell you how great this website is. Before I get your prediction for the Giants here, just tell the folks one more time where they can find your guys' rankings at uh, Sports Information Solutions and, and anything else you guys want to put out there. Because I'm, I've been going through it while I was doing this interview and the, the profiles and the board and, and just the slickness of it is, is really, really nice. Yeah, well, I should direct you over to the Giants team page because that's a cool place to check out, too. I um, appreciate the site, it. The site is nfldraft.sportsinfosolutions.com. So nfldraft.sportsinfosolutions.com. If you can't remember that, uh, hit us up on the Twitter page. Search for it. I'm, sh I'm sure it won't be too hard. Um, but what you get there, you get all of the stuff that makes you the GM. Player pages where you have all of the stats, all of the analytics, along with the NFL-style scouting reports for each of these players. You can see things ranked out in the big board, as we've been talking about. You can also see leaderboards of all of the different advanced stats at each position. Um, and one really cool thing that I'd want to draw your attention to is if you click over on the NFL teams drop down, you drop into the Giants page, you can see all sort of different information about them. Um, you can see even though they won 
four games last year. Our SIS war metric would have expected them to only win two games last year. Uh, you can see that they ranked 27th out of 32nd in terms of their decision-making. That's like fourth down decision-makings and things like that, which I'm sure surprises you because 27 sounds way too high. Um, but on the, on the sonar depth chart, that's the feature that I think is the coolest. You can look at the Giants roster as it stands now, and you can see a color-coded depth chart where you can see, okay, we are a little bit stronger at wide receiver. Uh, we feel good about one of the quarter, cornerback slots. Uh, we feel good about one of the linebacker slots, but a lot of the, the, the rest of the positions, a lot of weakness on the offensive line, uh, obviously not feeling great about the quarterback position, need some upgrades on the defensive line. You can see all of that there. You can click around on the different players and you can get a sense of what the depth looks like at each position there. Um, and you can use that to help guide you in terms of, I'm, I'm never going to be a, a proponent of need-based drafting, but you can get a better understanding at least of what your team's doing now so you can understand a little bit more um, where you where you want to improve and where you're hoping to get better. And Matt, I said I was going to ask you about the Giants' predictions, but I forgot. I, I got to ask you about the quarterbacks real quick. You don't have anyone in your top 32 here, right? I mean, I see a couple 6.6 grades. Uh, Belly Zaps is 6.3. Um, just give me yeah, a that... quick overview of, of the quarterback class and when you think one of these guys should go, not necessarily when they will go. Yep. Our number one quarterback is Malik Willis. He's a lot of people's number one quarterbacks. We've got him at the same grade range as a Kenny Pickett, even though they're very different prospects. Uh, this is a tough year for quarterbacks because there's really the one guy, I think Malik Willis, who has the physical ability and upside that gets you really excited. But uh, the film is very messy right now. Yeah. Um, this is not somebody who's, who's near ready to come in as a passer. He's going to need much more polish even than Lamar Jackson did coming in as a passer. Um, to give a, a, a comparison there, but you know, he's about the only person I'd feel putting in the same sentence with Lamar Jackson is from, a, from an athleticism standpoint, like Malik Willis has some athletic traits that they remind me of Michael Vick in some ways, because he's, he's got some really good athletic ability as a runner. And he's got uh, that arm talent where he can just fire an absolute cannon on the run. Um, so the, the arm talent and the, and the special traits I think um, he gets helped by the fact that players like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes have come in and so quickly become some of the best players in the NFL. They were guys that came in maybe with some question marks that developed really well into high-end players. So sort of the ability to, to kind of teach accuracy, which is starting to become more of a thing than it ever was uh, back when I was coming up as a scout. Um, that's what I think plays into Malik Willis and is the reason why there's a team that's going to talk themselves into drafting him uh, very high. I, I think um, sometime, you know, somewhere around the number 10 pick range, I think we see him plus or minus there end up going, even though he's just, like you said, the top quarterback on our board, but just the 42nd ranked player on our board. We have some running backs that we have ranked above him uh, to blaspheme the, the analytics community. Uh, besides that, there's guys, Kenny Pickett, I think he's pretty uh, ready-made. I think he can come in and be uh, a sort of decent, uh, like, like a replacement level NFL starter right now. But I think um, it's it, you'd be hard-pressed to find a high upside with him. And going back to what I was just talking about, when you're looking at Mahomes play against Josh Allen in, 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 the, in the championship game, how am I going to compete with those guys when I'm just bringing a Kenny right. Pickett to the equation? Um, similar things, you know, Sam Howell, he really gets hurt because this guy's like Baker Mayfield light. You watch him and it's hard not to see Baker Mayfield. And Baker had, you know, the worst season of his career and, and the stock's never been lower on him. Uh, he drops a little bit there. Uh, Desmond Ritter is a guy that I was the primary eval on. 
Um, I think he's got, you know, really nice polish. He's a great decision maker. He kind of does everything that I love about a quarterback. He does, he does really well, but the arm talent, I just don't think is there. I don't think he has the accuracy or arm strength to be uh, an NFL quarterback. You know, the, the release is inconsistent. The ball comes out differently. Maybe he's one of these guys that can learn that trait. Uh, like we've talked about with some players in the past, but, but, but I'd be surprised there. I see him more as an ideal backup than somebody that, that I bet on in that regard. So, uh, you know, Matt, Matt Corral, uh, another guy where we got to see what he looks like coming out of that, that Ole Miss system and actually getting into a real NFL offense. That's going to be the big test with him. Good athlete, not, not a Malik Willis athlete, but, but somebody that can play in there. These guys are all in the mix. These guys are all, I think are, are day two guys, I think in, in an ideal world, but, um, the way things go, you know, we know quarterbacks rightfully are the most valued position. And so you're going to value them a little bit higher and they're going to get, they're going to get pushed up the draft board for that reason. Um, I, I have a hard time with the upside for any of them to, to be Super Bowl level contending quarterbacks um, with the exception of Malik Willis, who, who has the lowest floor to, to go along with it. Nah, man, I think your analysis is there right spot on. All right, real quick, before we say goodbye, um, Give me the ideal situation. If you're trying to set the Giants up here for future success, walk away from five and seven, where are you going to be really happy? Well, I got to start off by saying anytime that you, you have a, a trade down possibility and you, and you can collect even more, that was one thing good old, uh, good old Dave was good about, actually, um, gathering some extra picks there. So I'm always a fan of that. But um, I do think that the draft shakes out where at number five, if you can grab any of those top three prospects that I talked about, any of those blue chippers are available. That's the first thing that I reach out for and grab. Um, and then secondly, I think you'll feel really good uh, kind of knowing that if you want to go tackle there, Evan Neal, Charles Cross, Ekin McQuenny, one of them is going to be available. Maybe multiple of them are going to be available. Um, so I think that would be a really strong pick. Um, on the other side of the ball, uh, we talked about a couple of corners and we talked about a couple of edge players. Yeah. I think those are the, the value positions where you'd want to go as well. So who's dropping to me? Uh, you know, is it, is it Stingley? Is it uh, my Gardner? Uh, okay. I'm, I'm happy with those guys at corner. If, if it's a cave Thibodeau, I think that's, that's maybe an ideal scenario um, to be able to get somebody with that kind of upside uh, that could come in and help your pass rush. So um, I think you'd feel really good about sitting tight, right where you are guaranteeing yourself two of the top seven players in the draft um, and maybe two of the top five players on your board as things tend to tend to shake out. Um, but then, like I said, if there's anybody that's, you know, if we start to see uh, Kyle Hamilton drop and all of a sudden he's there at number seven, and then there's somebody coming calling you up at number 11 saying, Hey, we want to move up and give you our number one pick next year too. Then that's the gift that keeps on giving. So I'm always I'm always listening when that's the when that's the offer. Matt, I'm with you. I agree. Matt 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 Manicharian at Matt Mano on Twitter, Vice President of Football and Research at Sports Information Solutions. Go check it out, folks. You just go back, get the link. Matt talked about it. It's fantastic. Matt, we appreciate it. You always spend about an hour with us before every draft. It's great information. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks for having me. That's NFLDraft.sportsinfosolutions.com. Yep, check it out, folks. It really is fantastic. From Matt, I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you next time on the Giants Little Podcast.